I find it interesting that uh, Keith mentioned uh, Satan's involvement in uh, the cultures that he encounters. Um, Satan is not inactive here either. Because it was 55 years ago that uh, Rosemary's baby hit the big screen. And uh, numerous occultic movies have depicted the devil fathering a child since then. And even though I've never seen such a movie, they sound blasphemous to me. Because the idea of the devil fathering a child seems to mock the virgin birth of our Lord. Now, we do have to admit that in the book of Genesis, we read that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, that they came to them, took them as wives, and that Nephilim, the mighty men of old, were born to them. We're not absolutely certain what that's all about, but it would appear that angels were able to take on physical form and father children. You know, making the idea of the devil doing the same is not as far-fetched as you might think. But there's also a very obvious element of truth in the idea of the devil having children. And John makes that very clear in our text for today. In fact, on the basis of what he has to say, I think we will quickly notice that there are more children of the devil in the world than there are children of God. Now, they're not the monstrous hybrids depicted in the movies, but they're real. And I can guarantee that you know some. In fact, there's a good chance that you were one and may even be one yet today. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go on a witch hunt to identify them, but I do think we better take a close look at what John has to say about the children of God and the children of the devil. In writing in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, he says, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Let's look at this in detail. Let's begin with a look at the children of God. Now, John, you remember, began the third chapter with this declaration. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. Now, as we previously came to understand, not everyone is 
a child of God. Everyone is a creation of God, but all are not his children. As witnessed by fatherless individuals in the world today, fatherhood denotes a relationship that that goes beyond procreation. And when we choose to sin against our Heavenly Father and walk away from Him, we lose our family connection and we cease to be His children. Fortunately, however, He has made it possible for us to be adopted back into the family. But we must accept the terms of His offer and choose to once again be called a child of God. But that's not the end of it. Once we've come back into the family, we are expected to adopt more than the family name. We're expected to adopt the family characteristics. We are to become like our spiritual father. And what is God like? God is righteous. He does the right thing All the time. Those who choose to become his children must therefore become righteous as well. They must strive to do the right thing all the time. Now, as we also noted in our study a couple weeks ago, our standing as righteous before God is a gift. It's called imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness that's given to us when we cover ourselves with the righteousness of Christ. When we put on what Paul refers to as the breastplate of righteousness. And we obviously do need his righteousness to stand before a holy God. Our own righteousness would appear as filthy rags before a perfect God. So we were made righteous when we accepted his son as our savior. So we were made righteous. God views us as righteous. But that does not relieve us of the responsibility of practicing personal righteousness as well. John says, let no one deceive you on this point. It does matter what you do. Your behavior is vitally important to God. You know, we don't earn our standing before him by being good. No one is good enough for that. But once we are given standing before God, we are expected to act like we appreciate it. We're to strive to live up to the name and the position he's given to us. The one who has been given righteousness must practice righteousness. We must commit ourselves to living a life that reflects the character of our Heavenly Father or we cease to be His children. That means we cannot practice sin. No one who is born of God practices sin. Now, John has already made it clear that Christians do occasionally sin, we do fall short. So if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. But we must not practice sin. It must not become a regular characteristic of our life. 
It must not typify our lifestyle. In fact, it cannot. And the reason it cannot, John said, is because his seed abides in him. But what did he mean by that? If he means it's impossible for someone in whom the seed of God has been planted to ever fall back into a sinful lifestyle, he has affirmed the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, that those who are truly born again can never fall back into a life of sin, that once the Spirit of God has come into our life, our eternal destiny is secured and there's no danger of ever losing it. That would be comforting. And it's a very popular doctrine in evangelical circles. But it doesn't square with 85 verses of Scripture that speak of the conditional nature of our position in the family of God and that warn us to be careful lest we stray and return to our old way of life. So the word seed here must refer to something other than the spark of life that God gives us when we're born again. But what else could it mean? Well, I think there are a couple of perfectly acceptable options. One is that in the Bible, seed often refers to family. The Old Testament refers to Abraham and his seed, his descendants, his family. If we take seed to mean family, then John is saying that no one who is a part of God's family practices sin because God's family, his seed, abides in him, capital H. I've capitalized him to make it refer to God or Christ, not a member of God's family in whom the seed abides. No one who is an active member of God's family can practice sin because they abide in him. They abide in Jesus. John's already established that fact. So taking seed to refer to God's family makes sense. It's the same thing he said back in, in, in verse 6. No one who abides in him sins. If we're abiding in Christ, it's impossible. It's impossible for us to live a life characterized by sin. That's one good understanding of that passage. But seed can also refer to something else, the Word of God. In 1 Peter 1.23, we read, for you have been born not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. If that's what John means by seed, he's saying that a Christian cannot practice sin because God's word abides in him. And that's very close to what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If we are born of God and God's word abides in us, we cannot sin. 
If we are in the word regularly and the word is in us, we won't sin. Maybe that's what John is saying. Actually, either option makes good sense. And we really don't have to choose one or the other. If we are born of God, it's the word of God that led us to life. And if we are to remain alive, we must abide in Christ. We cannot live a lawless, rebellious life while abiding in Christ. It's simply impossible. The Son of God appeared He came to earth to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the consequences and the activity of sin. He came to rid our lives of sin, to give us power over sin. And those who identify with Christ, who choose to come into the family of God, must give up their life of sin and take on the characteristics of their heavenly father. Those are the children of God. The converse is also true. Those who don't act like God, who don't practice righteousness, are in fact the children of the devil. If we're not doing the right thing, we're doing the wrong thing. If we're not practicing righteousness, we're practicing sin. And the devil is the originator of all sin. He led man to sin in the garden, and he even sinned himself before man was created. Now, his origin is a bit vague in Scripture, but most scholars believe Isaiah 14 12 through 14 is talking about Satan's fall. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Five times he said, I will. And that's the heart of all sin. Sin is allowing free will to become I will. It's doing what we want, irrespective of what God wants. If we do that, We're not reflecting the character of God. We're reflecting the character of the devil. And in doing so, we become his children. If we do what the devil does, we share a spiritual kinship with him. We become the devil's children. I hope that shocks you a bit. To sin or not to sin is not just, uh, it's to make a choice. Do I want to be a child of God? Or do I want to be a child of the devil? 
You know, you don't have to be a horribly evil person to be a child of the devil. All you have to be is self-willed. All you have to do is put your will above God's will. That's all it takes to be a child of the devil. And what is the destiny of those who become and remain children of the devil? Jesus made that very clear in the parable of the tares, a parable he not only told but also explained. Let's listen to his explanation. Then he left the multitudes and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears... Let him hear. The sons of the evil one will be cast into the furnace of fire. And if that is you, that's your destiny. So what are you? A child of God or a child of the devil? John made it very easy for us to figure it out. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. If you're not consciously and conscientiously seeking to do the will of God, if you're not doing the right thing, living a life characterized by righteousness, if you are not reflecting his character by loving others more than self and putting their needs above your own, you are not a child of God. You are, in fact, a child of the devil. And unless you do something about it, his destiny will be yours. The good news is that God has made possible a destiny you don't deserve. He wants you back. He's willing to adopt children of the devil back into his family. 
He's willing to reclaim his own prodigal sons and daughters. God wants us back. In fact, he's already paid for our adoption. He paid the price for our forgiveness, and all we need to do is accept his offer. If at some point in your life you became a part of his family by being born again, by being born of the water and the spirit, but you forsook your birthright and started acting like the devil again, you can come back to your heavenly father. Just confess your sin and recommit yourself to a life of righteous living. If you'll do so, he will forgive your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And you'll be back where you belong, in the family of God. If you've never renounced sin and died to self, God wants you in his family as well. Through his grace and the sacrifice of his son, he's made it possible for your sin to be forgiven and for you also to be adopted into his family. And you can break free from a life of sin. You can do so through the power of his spirit and by simply exercising the free will God has given to you. You can bury the old self, the I will, in a watery grave of baptism and rise to walk in newness of life, a life of thy will be done. You can become a child of God, if you'll but allow him to cleanse you and live his life through you. The choice is ours to make. What do you choose to be? And there are only two options. Two options. There's not a third one. Just a nice guy. No, it doesn't work that way. So what do you want to be? A child of God? A child of the devil? My prayer is that you want to be and remain a child of God. And you can if you'll let him cleanse you. And you'll commit yourself to a life of righteousness. Let's stand.